Twin Cities on the Move. On today's show, we're talking about the lending world, some market stats from today, and also the world of investment properties. Please join us on today's show coming up. Twin Cities on the Move, a real estate and mortgage podcast featuring Paul St. Andrew, Justin Sheeler, Joel Benson, and Greg Rios. Paul and Justin are licensed real estate agents in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Results. And Joel and Greg are mortgage consultants with Truestone Home Mortgage, a division of Truestone Financial Federal Credit Union. And now, Twin Cities on the Move. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number two. This is Twin Cities on the Move, a discussion about real estate and the mortgage industry in the Twin Cities. My name is Paul St. Andrew. I'm a Remax Results Realtor in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'm here with three of my friends today, a couple guys from True Stone Mortgage, Greg, Joel, and Justin. I'm Joel Benson. I'm with True Stone Home Mortgage. We're a division of True Stone Financial Federal Credit Union. We're an equal housing lender, and my NMLS number is 1064642. Greg Rios here again uh, with True Stone Home Mortgage, and my NMLS is 1505482. And I'm Justin Sheeler with Remax Results. Today we have a couple things to talk about. Uh, number one, we thought we'd give everybody kind of a crash course into home buying. You're sitting on your couch in your apartment wondering what your next steps are. You know you don't want to pay another rent check. What do we do? Where do you go from here? So we'll start with that, and then we'll look at the Twin Cities market conditions. And then lastly, we're going to dive into a uh, talk about investing in real estate and what, how that happens, anything from a townhouse onto multifamily properties. So, but first, off out of the gate, intro, intro into home buying. Um, I, get, I get calls personally from a lot of people that they start their search and they're on Zillow. Yep. That's really where it starts, Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and um, they say they have their phone in their hand and they're scrolling around on sitting on the couch, and then they call, and it's like, where where do we go from here? And you know, my thought always is they need to go and talk to a lender yep. and talk to somebody like Greg, somebody like Joel. Don't you guys think that that's really a good first step? I think that's absolutely the first step. And just like you mentioned, I, I oftentimes I talk to a client for the first time, Either uh, it's a referral from you know my personal network, it's from a realtor. You know, a, a, a large percentage of my business does come from realtors. Um, I also get you know leads online. A lot of people start their search online. They just you know sort of organically just uh, searching at homes, looking at properties. They start thinking about whether or not you know now is the time to buy. Um, I think because of that, they end up in a lot of times talking to a realtor first. But I do think the first step for most people should be talking to a lender simply to find out what you can afford. Yeah. And so what we do when I, when I talk to a client first, I talk to them about sort of, you know, what their comfort levels are. You know, not necessarily, I'm going to, I tell them all, I'm going to find out, you know, I'm going to do a pre-qualification for you and I'm going to let you know what you can buy, what, you know, what, what you can literally f- afford when we crunch the numbers, you know, but then there's a question about whether or not they're comfortable with that payment. Just because you can afford that $500,000 house, you know, every month you have to make that payment. So it's about finding their comfort level. So we'll do the, you know, we'll do the, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, the crunching the numbers and figuring out what, you know, what I can get approved. Then it becomes, okay. You kind of work backwards, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. Okay. You know, and I think another big piece is you want to find out what they're thinking for a down payment because um, it's always a big piece uh, to the puzzle. And a lot of times they've saved and they have that, you know, set aside, you know, 5, 10, 15, even 20% down. 
Uh, but then you also have your first time home buyers that are saddled with, you know, maybe some student debts, things like that. And, and what's nice is, you know, we do offer programs available for first time home buyers. Um, we have grants, you know, we utilize Minnesota housing. So, um, you know, that's also a big, big step is you want to understand down payment, where that's going to come from. And, you know, cause a lot of times they're just misinformed. They think they have to have 20%. That's just kind of the number that's out there. And you kind of let them know, Hey, we could probably do this for maybe three or three and a half percent. This is what that looks like. And it's, it kind of opens our eyes. Good, good. Yeah. And it's, I think it sounds intimidating almost and daunting. I think when you talk these big numbers, 20% down and, and even down to 5% down, you know, that's still a lot of money. Um, for somebody to just pull out of their couch cushions and bring in TS. I have one one question I have, I guess, is what if I was going to come and see you? And I'm, we have that phone conversation, and and our next step is to meet. What would what what would be good things for me to bring along? What well, do you need? For well, me? well, here's what I'll tell you. First of all, that there's maybe a little bit of a misconception, but. Most clients, when they call me, they think they need to send me their, you know, all their W-2s, their pay stubs, you know, all the... DNA sample. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And what I always tell people is if you answer my questions honestly, I'm going to believe you and you don't necessarily need to, to give me all those documents for, for pre-qualification. Now, you certainly can. And if you do, then I'm going to do what's, you know, this is where we talk about the, dif- the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval. Pre-qualified means based on what you've told me, you're qualified to buy, you know, X amount. Yep. If I'm giving you a pre-approval, I've actually reviewed your documents. Underwriting has looked at it. We know you're actually approved for you know whatever we're talking about. So I think that first step is going to be sort of an education process where I'm you know because a, a home buyer uh, maybe they haven't done this before or maybe they've done it once in their life. I do it every day. So I try to ask all the questions that are going to help me to sort of formulate a proposal that meets their needs the best. You know, I'm going to talk about, you know, how much do you have available for down payment? You know, do you have access to, um, you know, maybe maybe it's you know, utilizing your 401k. Maybe it's a gift from your family. Maybe it's, you know, your savings account or, or wherever it is. You know, and then and then you find out what's what's really attainable because like, like Greg mentioned, we have programs where, hey, if you have 20% down, this is what I can do for you. If you have 5% down, this is what I can do. But I'm going to give them all those options. And by asking all those questions... I'm going to put together a proposal where they can sort of pick and choose. But as far as what they bring, if we meet face-to-face and they want to bring stuff, you know, we're typically going to want to look at, you know, 30 days worth of pay stubs, a couple okay. of years of W-2s. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the program, some of the programs are going to require tax returns. Uh, most don't. But um, And then it also depends on their situation. If they're self-employed, you know, I'm going to probably need a little bit more documentation because that can get a little bit tricky. Um, but most importantly, I like to just stress that I'm going to ask the questions – you're going to give me the answers, and then I'm going to hopefully provide the right solutions. I don't need you to figure this out. I'll do that for you. All you're simple. going to do is yeah. is sort of give me the parameters that I need to put together the right proposal for you. This sounds it sounds a little bit like a bit of a marathon. And is it really? I mean, I'm just I'm curious. Is it is it something that can be can happen? You know, in a short amount of time, or is it something that is a bit drawn out and you know painful? So typically. You know, if you're going to pre-qualify someone, uh, you can do that. I mean, if you really sat down and put their information on the fly, whether they're right in front of you or you're on the phone, um, you could hammer that out in 15 or 20 minutes. You can't. If you have all the information, you know, if they know their income, they know what they have in savings and, you know, you have all the vital information you need, you you can hammer that out. Um, But every customer is different. 
Sure. You know, so some people want to really dive in and like I had clients in last week that I had literally had to pull up our pricing and, and walk them through it because that's how high level detailed they were. Sure. And that's what made them feel comfortable. And that's why they selected to work with me um, in the long run. And then some people, you know, you, you don't even talk about the interest rate because they just kind of want to know what the payment is and, and what they can buy. That's really what's important to them. So, yeah. So, I mean, every, every buyer is different. And then something else that me and Joel try to do along the process is I always tell the, the customers, hey, when you're out there and, and you start to like houses, send me the address. Mm-hmm. Let me pull taxes. Let me get a feel of what that actual payment's going to be, you know, because you can get pretty close. Right. Um, and then it really helps them understand okay, this is out of my range or this is in my range or maybe I really like this house at this payment, that type of stuff. Um, and it just gives them a lot of information. The more you empower them, the quicker they're going to pull the trigger and actually buy the property. Yeah, and I can tell you from a realtor's perspective, it's so nice when it, when people are proactive, both you know buyers and the mortgage mortgage guys and gals that are mm-hmm. helping them. You know, if, if they're all ready to go and they find a property they like, they're all set. They're, they're good to go. Yeah, and they're it's good, good to know that you guys can make things happen quickly. It, yeah, it's not it's not a week long event or anything nope. like that. It's not. And I've had buyers think that they don't even call you guys because they think, gee, I don't want to. It's it just sounds like you know. I mean, they have more fun doing their taxes <laughs> right. than than, right. than I'd rather go to this. the dentist or yes, something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's not like that. And and I think that to 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 wipe out that perception that it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not going to be this you know big long SAT test type of a thing. So bottom line it sounds like is just you know, get off the couch and give these guys a call. It's not it's not that bad. It's it's pretty painless and in just in a short amount of time you you'll be probably pleasantly surprised at what you can afford for housing. And one one other thing too, it's nice when someone does sit down with either Greg and Joel and they can kind of walk them through some of the other expenses that people may not be aware of. You know, when you have a first-time home buyer, they may not be aware of closing costs. How much is that going to cost you? Well, usually it's anywhere from 3 to 5% on average, depending on the purchase price of the property. And there are ways to finance those into the purchase. So if you don't have that, if you don't have ten grand laying around, well, Joel or Greg, or, you know, your mortgage expert can help you figure out a way to, to still make the purchase. It's also nice to know that you're going to probably have to put forward some earnest money, too. And that earnest money goes towards the down payment. You're not just giving free money, but it's basically money that you give when you put in an offer. And let's say it's anywhere from twenty five hundred to five thousand dollars. That goes towards your down payment. But that is money. That's the first money you're going to spend out of pocket on the purchase of the property. And that happens when you submit the offer. Good. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about today's market conditions in the Twin Cities. Uh, it's a tight market out there. We'll see if we can figure out a good way for you to get in the door of your next house. We're back with segment two, Twin Cities on the Move. This is episode two today, and this is, well, March 1st as we record this, 2019, and it's amazing uh, what's going on in the Twin Cities. It seems like the spring market has sprung a few months ago. Um, Signs are going up, but they're going up with sold signs already attached to them, it seems like. We're still at about a 1.7% housing inventory on the market. That's really, really tight. Greg, what do you, I mean, you have a lot of buyers out there right now trying to find a home. Um, they're out kicking the tires. They're they're in competition for these places. What are you seeing from a mortgage side? I mean, I, on my side, it's a total bloodbath right now. Um, I'm. It's all over the board. Like I have clients that are winning bids. I have clients that are just 
walking away, going back to renting because they've lost three or four and they just, they're just discouraged. They're discouraged. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of the things that I've been doing now that we're in this market is I'm trying to find ways that I can add some value to the offer without necessarily costing my clients any money. Okay. So what I find myself doing is being more aggressive on the closing time. You know, typically we, we strive for like 30 days if we're a multiple bid, I'm in certain situations. If the customer's right and it's a strong file, I say let's do it in twenty. Okay. See if that makes us stand out. Um, I find myself reaching out to the listing agent mm-hmm. before we even have an accepted offer, just to kind of review my offer, call out the highlights of it, why it's strong, you know, why why we'll close on time. I'm local, introduce myself, and that's just on my side of the fence. And what I was really curious about is what what you guys are running into or. or you know, how do you guys, you know, whether you're on the listing or the buyer side, what are some pointers that you guys might have to add value, you know, to these offers to maybe win a bid or even how you select the winning bid, you know, depending on what side of the transaction sure. you're at? What do you think, Justin? Well, that's what's nice about being on both sides of it, too. You can you can see both angles of it. Um, when, you, when you're on the listing side, you're looking for, number one, usually the price. You know, how strong is that offer? That's mm-hmm. usually what the, mm-hmm. the sellers are first considering. Usually they want to maximize their price. The second thing is usually the down payment amount. How much are they putting down? You know, is it, if it's 20% down, you're probably not going to have to worry about an appraisal because you've got so much skin in the game. The lender's going to be pretty, all these, the appraiser is usually going to be pretty liberal with you. Closing costs, that can be a deal killer. I had one just the other night where they chose our offer just because we didn't ask for closing costs. Mm-hmm. My clients could have used the closing costs, but they didn't absolutely need them. So after talking to the lender, I just said, we can't ask for them. We, let's, just, let's just pay for them ourselves. It's going to make our offer stronger. And that ended up being the difference between three different offers. Another thing is you know, the earnest money, the close date. Close date probably takes precedence to earnest money, but closing date, like Greg was saying, man, if you could get a 20-day closing date, that's awesome for sellers that are usually trying to move as quickly as possible. How are you guys dealing with maybe prepping your clients? Because like I find myself when I'm when I'm talking to people, I say, listen, it's it's super competitive right now. We're probably not going to win our first bid. You know, I promise when we get to the finish line, you're going to remember the house that you got. You're not going to think about the ones that got away. Typically, is that that's what I find. So do you guys find yourself prepping clients right now for this market and trying to have them be mentally strong? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's and it depends on the client. It always depends on the client. You yeah, can, because um, they all, every, every person, and that's, I think it's just human nature. Everybody's a little different and they all have a different way of how they how they will react to the market like this. I have some clients that I can tell them how tight things are and that we're going to be part of multiple offers and there's a good chance that they're going to be writing an offer over the list price. Um, we'll go out and look at a house and they'll come in and they'll say they want to write it for $10,000 under list price. I, I know I'm the same way. I'm hard-headed about stuff too and I just I have to find out on my own. And they might have to find out on their own a little bit that that's not going to work. There's a few things that are not financial, I think, that you can, as a realtor and as a client, you can do. I don't recommend throwing out an inspection on any home. uh, But the one thing that we can do is make sure that we're not going to beat up the sellers at all. We're not going to ding them for squeaky hinges and too much dust on the doorknobs. (laughs) And, you know, we're just not going to. We'll look for structural things. We'll look for safety issues. But 
I like to re- really assure the listing agent that, no, we're not here to nitpick them and to just beat them up left and right on the inspection. Um, I always ask the, the listing agent, what is a good date for your for your people to close? And 20 days is awesome. Sometimes, you know, some people, they're going to move, but they haven't even found a house. So maybe they need to, they need two months. If you're the if you're the listing agent, and whether it's the buyer's agent or, or me as a lender calling, what kind of information can you give about other offers or about the strength of an offer that we've submitted? It's tricky because unless your client has told you that you can tell them certain things, you just can't. You can't say tell that. them anything. Okay. But there's a lot yeah. that you can glean from the unspoken or the spoken. You know, sometimes an agent will just tell just by the amount of offers you're competing with. Right. Well, if I'm just competing with one other offer. It's a little bit easier. But if we have five, six offers in play, that's super helpful to know how many offers there are. But anything you can get from that is super helpful. I like to ask the – I like to put it on the listing agent. What are you guys looking for? What can we do to make the offer as strong as possible? What are the sellers looking for? And sure. I'll often tell you, you know what would be super helpful? These guys don't have anything picked out yet. If you could give us a 45-day close date or if we could close mm-hmm. in 30 days or whenever – you know what? They're super concerned because their last deal fell through. The buyers didn't have any earnest money in play, or they're only putting five percent down. Just little stuff like right. that can make a huge. That's interesting. They'll tell to you. Turn it yeah. around a little yeah, bit. They, and, yeah, yeah. You know, to hopefully get some information that way. I have clients all the time who are, you know, I mean, particularly right now, I have several clients who have made offers and not won on. You know, I've, I, in fact, I just uh, checked my email before we started here, and I got an offer accepted. This guy's offer on like five other properties, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've literally stopped saying good luck because I feel like I'm jinxing it, right? <laughs> so I just I just say let's get this one. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough market right now. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, people are selling houses every day. Every day that goes by, somebody has bought a house in the Twin Cities for sure. So mm-hmm. it's it will happen. It can happen, and it does happen. You know, we just have to have the right system. Having a good mortgage team backing you up and having a good a good realtor out there you know just you know opening the doors and and looking at these houses and then coming up with the you know that's where our value I believe as a realtor comes out we know we can do these few extra little things that a person that doesn't do this every day doesn't really know you know one thing i wanted to ask you if you're the listing agent how important is financing? Not not whether they're approved, whether or not, but the type of financing. Whether it's Big time. a you know a government loan, if it's FHA, VA, or if it's just a straight you know straight conventional. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's it's when you're here. Here's the thing. I think it always when you're walking hand in hand as a seller with a buyer, you know, down down this road to close, and you, you know you get a few weeks down the road, and all of a sudden the buyer can't perform. For whatever reason. It doesn't really matter what reason it is. If the buyer can't for, perform, that's a disappointment for every single person in the room. It's just, it's awful. Right. And so to, to, to know that you have a, a solid buyer that can perform, in my opinion, sometimes is, is more important than the purchase price. Yeah, and right. I'd like to ask Greg, you know, when you get someone calling, because I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask the, the lender or the mortgage person sometimes, why are you guys going FHA? It's okay. I mean, why? Are you, but why are you going this type of financing versus conventional? Or am I going to have to worry about these guys being able to perform? What do you? What are you typically? Well, I mean, in today's market, um, it, it is getting more difficult to qualify for the conventional pricing. Um, we're we're seeing some numbers and some studies come out that you know maybe the conventional uh, loans they don't want as many three percent down. 
people as they did in years prior because the market conditions are changing. But to answer your question, um, I find myself going FHA if I need more buying power. Um, you can go higher with that to income ratio. So it just it allows them to maybe get in the house that they want to get in where maybe conventional doesn't have the same flexibility. Rates are often lower with yeah. the government programs. Rates are as lower. Well. And then um, honestly, the only hang up I really see is probably the appraisal, right? Because I think the, the approval process is pretty strong when it comes to the government loans or FHA. But I think you guys might cringe with the appraisal because they're a little bit more nitpicky, and that and that can always. That's always a, yeah. That's always a, you're always crossing your fingers, right? You are. Average. You're like, please be gentle. Peeling yeah, paint, yeah, yeah, right. Peeling paint, peeling yeah. paint, yeah. So, well, good, good. Well, I, you know, this is all great information to have, and I think the bottom line is, in spite of this tight market, again, houses are being sold every single day. If you have a good team backing you up as a as a person that wants to go out and buy a home. I think you're going to be just fine and you will be successful. Well, when we come back, we'll dive into real estate investing and see where the market is in the Twin Cities with that. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Twin Cities on the Move. This is episode number two. Um, and now we're gonna thinking about investors. Uh, have you ever thought of investing in rental property? Anything from a townhome to a condo to a single-family home and then on to multifamily properties? Um, you know, I, Justin, I have a lot of people that come to me and they're like, what, where do you start? What do you do? What are, what are the first steps? What are your thoughts? You deal with these guys. Well, that's a great question, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there. One of the first things is, how much money do I need? And I tell them, I'm honest. You need $100 million cash. Yeah, one wheelbarrow. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, but, but seriously, a lot of the time, you, you can get into a property without a whole lot of cash. You know, if I had a chance to go back in time and tell young Justin Sheeler, hey, instead of wasting all this money on rent and going out and occasionally partying on the weekends, just – Find a way to get yourself into one of these multifamily properties, like a duplex or something. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be on like a contract for deed or a rent to own if you don't have good credit built up yet or no credit. Or you don't have a lot of money saved up. You can't pay cash for it. There's there's ways to get into these properties. And that, that by the time you become 50, 55 years old, if you bought a duplex back in, you know, when you were 19 years old, you probably have that paid off. You probably have multiple properties by then. Nice little nest egg might. built up, hopefully, knock on wood. Hopefully you have – you might have a couple million dollars worth of, of real estate assets already for you. And you're also getting that rental income, hopefully, at that time too. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I kind of did a little bit of that, as you know. <laughs> um, I had I lucky man. No, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'll tell as quick as I can. When I was eighteen years old, my grandfather passed away, and he gave all of his grandkids a couple bucks. Um, my mom and dad, being wiser than me, would not allow me to go buy a car with that, or you know, something stupid. And it sat for about a year and a half in an investment account, um, which was extremely boring. And I was kind of annoyed with that and wanted to, it was burning a hole in my pocket. And so my dad and I started to look at buildings and we ended up buying a four unit building. Um, it was right over by Roosevelt High School in South Minneapolis. And I lived in that and I lived in each one of the apartments, fixed it up. 
moved to the next one, fixed it up, moved to the next one, fixed it up. And that's how I kind of got started with rental property. Uh, short time later, another duplex uh, came available, and I was able to take a little bit of the equity that I used fixing up the um, the first building to buy that. And it just kind of went from there. And that's awesome. Over the my real estate career, that's been the constant has been rental property, and it's really not from from my perspective. It's two things. It's it's um, what it is is it's a part time job. And I think if you look at it with the mentality that it actually is a job and you're going to have to do some chores, that um, you will come out ahead of it. You know, Because if you, have, if you think that you're just going to sit back and the rent's going to roll in and, and then when things go wrong, you're, it's going to bother you. And it's just that's not it. It's really truly a job. Um, the second thing is, is that it's a get-rich-slow scheme. It's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, and it's not a straight-up linear path. Uh, but hopefully over the long term, pro- properties appreciate and you know, um, and you pay down the debt with the rent and let the tenants buy this asset for you. You know, and then lastly, it's really not rocket science. You know, it's it's not like you said, it's not a moon landing. <laughs> it doesn't you know? have to be. It doesn't have to be. It's back of the beer napkin math from a from a guy that's owned rental property for going on 31 years now i that's what i see about it and it's a way for my family with the income that i make to propel us to a different lifestyle because of this rental property for sure so that's really cool and there's so many different options out there in terms of the type of purchase you want to make if you want to buy a duplex and live in one side and have the other side paid for by tenants Use that money towards either your mortgage or the you know your cost of living, which is your property taxes, your utilities, your homeowner's insurance, and stuff like that. That's huge because a lot of the time they're paying almost half of your mortgage payment, mm-hmm. sometimes more, sometimes more. Yes. And and that's why there's such a demand for these properties, you know. And so if you can find a way to get into one, that's huge. It is. It yeah. is. And it can. It like you said, you can you can live in them. You can start. I've had a lot of uh, clients over the years where we've um, they've bought, say, for example, a townhouse, mm-hmm. um, which is, was great for them. They were a young, you know, just out of college person. They bought a townhouse. They lived in this townhouse for five, six years, and lo and behold, you know, they got married and the life started to happen, and they needed to move to a bigger piece of property, a bigger house, a single family house. They kept their townhouse and kept it as a rental property, and awesome. instead of selling it, they placed a tenant in there, and now that's just become another asset in their portfolio. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Paul, because it's actually like my story, almost verbatim. Uh, so me and my wife, we bought a townhome over in Albertville in 06, mm-hmm. and then a few years later, the market crashed. Well, our family grew, so we had to buy a bigger home. And we were so underwater that we were kind of forced into having an investment property. By default, landlords. By, by default. And, you know, through trial and error, um, you know, we've kept it, you know, for we haven't got rid of it yet. And I think we struggle with that every year. Like, you know, do we keep this or, you know, do we do we sell it and just take the proceeds out now? And we always decide to keep it, you know, thinking, like you said, the long term. I mean, eventually it is going to be paid off. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're just going to become more cash flow positive and it's an asset. And I like what you said about it not having to be a moon landing because a lot of people get intimidated by the investing side. 
they're you know they're afraid to jump in because they don't have that 200 300 line excel sheet and they don't know what a cap rate is or a gross rent multiplier you don't need to know or any a, of that. yes exactly no. all you got to do is take how much you're going to make off that property every month and subtract your expenses and if what's left over makes sense to you then perfect it's back of the envelope math and it either works or it doesn't and that's another piece about it that i think is nice it's there's no emotion involved you know it it's there's none at all really it's just it either works or it doesn't we were we were forced into it but we love it now every time we drive by it cuz we're about a mile away you know we just say that's what's going to pay for our kids college that's why we keep keeping it you know life throws your curveballs you're like oh maybe i should sell but we continue to hold on to it so that's great well thanks everybody thanks for joining us today we'd love uh any comments that you have i know we'll be posting this all around any feedback is you know one of the four of us for sure if you're listening today so we'd love to hear from you and if you have any topics for us please let us know as well this is twin cities on the move thanks for listening this has been twin cities on the move a real estate and mortgage podcast Paul St. Andrew and Justin Sheeler are licensed real estate agents in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Results. You can find Paul online at minnesotahomesales.com and Justin at justinsheeler.com with Sheeler spelled S-C-H-E-E-L-E-R. Joel Benson and Greg Rios are mortgage consultants with Truestone Home Mortgage, a division of Truestone Financial Federal Credit Union. And they can be found online at truestonehomemortgage.com slash joel hyphen benson and truestonehomemortgage.com slash greg hyphen rios. Truestone is spelled T-R-U-S-T-O-N-E and rios is spelled R-I-O-S. Truestone Home Mortgage and Truestone Financial Federal Credit Union are not affiliated with Remax or Remax Results. This show has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual participants and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Remax Results, Truestone Home Mortgage, Truestone Financial Federal Credit Union, or Minnesota Podcasting. 